Will Peter Bendix be aggressive with some trade chips? Could the Marlins really look to accelerate this farm rebuild by trading at least one of their main studs from the roster? This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked on Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Lockdown Marlins. It's your daily Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up, of course, on X, formerly known as Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you are listening to the pod, of course, hit subscribe. This is your team every day. And thanks for making Lockdown Marlins your first listen of the day. Thank you to the everydayers as well. Thank you for joining me every single day. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube as well and join the comments. That's where the everydayers are absolutely active in that comment section. I appreciate every single one of you guys um, for sure. Guys, this is a double episode extravaganza on Monday, the 27th of November. I'm going to split these out of touch, but as I mentioned, missed a few episodes last week. Wanted to catch back up here, so it's a double episode extravaganza on Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday deals. Maybe instead of splurging on buy now, pay, pay later deals on things maybe you don't need, maybe you can listen to a podcast and think about how the Marlins could sell now and buy later. I don't know if that's exactly what I mean. But nevertheless, this episode is sponsored by our good friends over at FanDuel. You can make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit fanjewel.com slash locked on to get yourselves started. Guys, and this episode is all about trade chips. It is all about considering whether the Marlins could and Peter Bendix could look to do something. I don't know what the right term is. Look to do something to accelerate a rebuild as such, to accelerate the farm and restocking of a farm uh, and to be aggressive in that. <clears throat> Where does this idea and concept come from? You're probably thinking, Pete, this is a nonsense, this episode. Why would the Marlins look to trade any of their studs? Well, we're going to talk about it. That's the point of the episode. But... Where this, where this has come from <clears throat> is considering how the Tampa Bay Rays at this moment and the reporting around the Tampa Bay Rays right now, at the back end of November, are strongly believed to be looking to move their ace, Tyler Glasnow. He is team controlled for one final, one final year, 25 million owed in 2024. Um, and the Rays seemingly looking to move him now, cash in on him now. It's always been the Rays' way. And right now, the Marlins are pretty much going to morph themselves into the Rays. This is one of the main things when Peter Bendix was hired that effectively any, arb any arbitration-eligible guy, for me, will always be in the conversation to be traded at any point, no matter who you are. That's the lens we have to look through. That's the lens that I'm looking through. And so... Here's the problem the Marlins face. Their drafting recently has not been good enough. Their development has not been good enough. They've drafted the wrong guys and they haven't been able to develop them. 
So that leaves a massive void. Equally, Kim Ang has made some all-in moves last year to improve the Major League roster, thus moving some of the better quality talent in the farm system. So the farm system is bottom five right now. The Marlins payroll will always be bottom five, probably. And so the heartbeat of this club will be a strong farm system. It's It's what Derek Jeter preached when he first joined. I know Derek Jeter catches a lot of strays, a lot of people not believing he knew what he was doing. Some ways, you know, there's degrees of fairness in that assessment, but I, I think his theory and his philosophy was right. The right philosophy to have for, for a club and organization like the Marlins. Unfortunately, I just think that he hired the wrong guys and they weren't able to execute uh, accordingly. So too many jobs for his pals and not enough quality, potentially. But this isn't a Derek Jeter episode. This is a Marlins and a Peter Bendix and a connection to the Rays episode. And like I said, this is driven by the fact that the Rays are strongly linked to looking to move Tyler Glasnow this offseason and his $25 million. So what does that mean for the fish? And who really comes into the spotlight here? Really the three guys, I think, that stand out uh, right now. I mean, <clears throat> in some ways, Josh Bell. So we probably could have four trade ships here. And let's, I mean... Let's start with Josh Bell. He's not even on the on the agenda, but I'll briefly touch on him. Spoke about it a few weeks ago, and the everydayers will remember it, and I remember some of the comments about it saying, yeah, Pete, we should be having this conversation. Josh Bell opts into his $16.5 million. That The reason being is the reason you would opt in primarily would be that you don't believe that you can get that money elsewhere. So he opts into this deal. The Marlins at this point still have the opportunity to trade and move Josh Bell if they believe that that number is too high, too high to carry. And right now, the Marlins are restricted. This is the problem now. They're restricted by Josh Bell's money, Avicel Garcia's money, and Sandy Alcantara's dead money, plus some of the other dead money that um, goes with the buyouts for Matt Barnes and Johnny Cueto. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is half the problem for the fish. They've got limited payroll. Too much of it is tied up in, in, where, in, in ways that it's not overly efficient for a club like the Marlins. So <clears throat> Josh Bell, in my opinion, could well be moved. However, the fact that the Marlins didn't protect um, Troy Johnston, and there's a, there's a good chance that Troy Johnston gets taken, at least taken in the Rule 5, whether he ends up a full year away from the Marlins, who knows? But it's possible. But for the Marlins not to go down that pathway, I think is probably a sign that the Marlins are happy to keep Josh Bell. He had a really positive impact on the field and off the field. And so... You know, I think it would be a little bit of a step back for them, but moving that 16 and a half and replacing that with a league minimum 750 or whatever the number is, yeah, is definitely interesting as well for the Marlins and for Bruce Sherman. Okay, moving on from Josh Bell, let's let's start with who I believe to be the guy that is least likely to be moved this offseason. <clears throat> and I believe that to be Luis Arias. I believe that the Marlins are least likely to move Luis Arias at this point. Two years of control remaining on Luis Arias. The question with him is, what what does the future hold with Arias? If if indeed the Marlins aren't looking to extend Arias beyond these two years, then there will come a time where this conversation will gather more steam. However, going into next year, particularly considering that they have they still have an offensive problem, the Fish. Skip Schumacher spoke about it with the Fish on first, guys. 
The offense has to get better. And listen, the offense cannot get better if you remove Luis Arias out of that offense. And so for me, if Peter Bendix wants to do something drastic and dramatic and look to try to restock or rebuild the farm in some sort of way with a blockbuster deal, my sense is that they would not go down the pathway of moving Luis Arias this offseason. As he ticks into next year, then it's possible at some point, similar to the way the Rays are saying, we want to move Tyler Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow is a stud. Luis Arise is a stud. But one year of control, an expensive year of control, it sometimes gets a bit too expensive for these clubs. Thus, Luis Arise, in my opinion, will stay with the Marlins this year. The Marlins need him badly um, as part of this offense, and they need other guys to help him, frankly. But... There will come a time, and the time will probably come next offseason, if not slightly before. We don't know how 24 will go, but if 24 is going sideways, then it is possible, it's possible that the Marlins may entertain that and look to maximize the asset at the deadline with a extra year of control attached to Arise at that point if they look to move him. Luis Arise, absolutely one of the guys that we should all be keeping our eye on. The Marlins had to move Pablo Lopez to go and get Arias. The trade worked out perfectly. Both guys have flourished in their new organizations. Luis Arias, back-to-back batting champ. AL, then NL. So I'm really interested to see how his season looks next year. I mean, he was absolutely on fire. He had a bit of a dip, and then he caught fire again. But he's just an absolutely sensational hitter, and the Marlins absolutely need him. So for me, there is huge value in Luis Arias right now. And there'd be huge value in acquiring Luis Arias for pretty much any club out there, in my opinion. So his trade value remains high. He's a proven commodity. And also, it's the type of stick, like really, there is no one like Luis Arias, to be honest with you. But it's the type of guy that can, you know, these rule changes, again, have helped a guy like Luis Arias. So his trade value remains high. It will remain high into next year. And for me, he is absolutely one to watch. Um, There's two other guys, though, that I think are much more likely to be moved uh, in the nearer term by Peter Bendix. Uh, One of them, it will be difficult, difficult from a fan base to accept, but also one that is difficult because of his projected role in 2024. And those two guys are Sandy Alcantara and Jesus Luzardo. We're going to talk about them after our first ad and our good friends over at FanDuel. And you can you can get the, the ad up, firstly. That would be useful. <laughs> um, but you can get into this NFL season with America's number one sports book with FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use and has a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, you're here with me, Peter Pratt. Still on Monday, the 27th of November, we are talking three slash four major trade, tip, trade chips that the Marlins have and the Peter Bendix could well look to broker a blockbuster deal to re-energize this farm system with the Miami Marlins. We've talked about Josh Bell. In my opinion, there's 
There's a lot of money tied up with Bell. But the early indications from the, the roster construction thus far suggest that Bell will remain with the Marlins at least towards the deadline. And naturally, they'll wait and see where they're at. Luis Arias equally will come into that conversation more likely again towards the deadline or into next offseason as he enters his final year of club control and an expensive year of club control that will be. Luis Arias is a legit stud hitter. There is no one quite like Luis Arias in this game at this point. He had a stunning debut year with the Marlins, and the Marlins desperately need him again. If they are to be competitive, they need the offense to get better. There is no getting around that. And you have to build around Lewis Arise at this point into 24, or just wave the white flag now and call it a wash. We'll wait to see. So if the Marlins are going to make a blockbuster deal, then for me, it centers around two guys at this point. One of them. Let's start with Jesus Lozado. Jesus Lozado, two years of club control remaining. I think the thing that's in my head with Lozado, so Lozado was kind of ascended to be like the de facto ace now, I guess, with, with Sandy missing. I'm going to talk about Sandy as well. And, and you know, Lozado, his age, his club control, and his production with the Marlins has been, everything's been, been great. They've, you know, and then you look back and you go, Hey, remember how they, the Marlins got Lozado? It was for half a year of Starling Marte. And I do think this is really interesting because in some ways you kind of like, like keep tying it you know, backwards, right? Where you go, right, half a year of Lozado, uh, sorry, for Marte, but multiple years of Lozado at this level of production, you know, should we cash in now? There's only two years of control remaining. Are we going to extend Jesus Lozado? Can we afford to? And I guess this is what it all comes down to. If the Marlins aren't going to look to bump up their payroll significantly, then tough decisions will have to be made around how this roster is constructed and who remains on it, particularly because you've got this Abisel Garcia money still hanging over the club. You've then got more expensive years of Sandy Alcantara and Luis Arias coming as well. That's why Jesus Lozado at this point, two years of control and at an age that a club could naturally, if they went to acquire Lozado, there is no reason why, a bit like the Twins, they acquire the guy and can extend Lozado. The problem is, is that doesn't maybe fit the brief for the Marlins, but for another club, let's say the New York Yankees, for example, you trade Lozado, he goes to the Yankees, and they have no problem in looking to find a way to extend him beyond his two years of club control. So... There'll be tons of suitors for Jesus Lozado. A lefty stud, two years of control, and an age that you can extend with limited amounts of risk. So why would the Marlins do it now? It's a great question. If they trade Lozado at this point, um, it would have to be for a blockbuster deal. So let's start with that. But clearly the timing wouldn't be amazing because you then have no Sandy, no Lozado. However, the question would be is, could you make this deal right now? And could the Marlins find a way to maybe add a starter or two by a free agency? Maybe like some upside-y, buy-low type of guys in free agency. Then you roll into the rope with a rotation of, okay, you know, you've got Braxy Garrett. <laughs> okay, he's probably not an ace. You know, Braxy, Yuri Perez, Trevor Rogers, Ryan Weathers, um, you know, a couple of vet starters. You've got Brian, like... Could the Marlins legitimately mix a match around and find a way to negate 
Lozado being moved at this point for a bumper deal? I think they probably could, to be honest with you. Is the rotation going to get any better? Probably not. But the Marlins need to find a way to get the offense better. That remains the problem. No matter what they did in 23, and they, by the record and wins and losses and their seed, they were the fifth best club in the NL, but they, they scored the fewest runs of any club in the NL. To me, that's a really bad indicator. And the one that isn't sustainable. It isn't sustainable. So they need to find ways to add talent, offensive talent, because within the minor league system, there is li- very limited amounts of hitting talent that is like on the edge, on the cusp of being usable at the big league level. Obviously, the Marlins, they added Victor Mesa Jr. Um, to the the 40-man to protect him. But frankly, you know, Jacob Berry, you know, what's, you know, what's his next season going to look like? How quickly can he improve and develop, if at all? There's so many question marks there. There's just so many question marks, but there's such a lack of talent that the Marlins are going to have to do something drastic here. And it could be trading Jesus Lozado to maybe get, a, you know, guys in that are maybe like right a big league ready or have maybe had a small taste of the big leagues but aren't proven. So they'd have to take some risks in this. But if they get, if they get it right, it could be a huge deal. Let's talk about Sandy Alcantara because this is a different situation. <clears throat> the reason why the Marlins should or could, I think maybe I'd better phrase it as could, they could consider moving Sandy Alcantara. There's a couple of obvious reasons. The first one being he's going to miss the entirety of 2024. So if you move Sandy Alcantara this offseason, the club uh, acquiring Sandy Alcantara will have to pay his salary in 24, which will effectively be dead money. A club like the Marlins can't have 10% of the payroll or ideally wouldn't have 10% of the payroll that is dead money, which would be the case with Sandy Alcantara's salary at this point. The other unknown, how will Sandy return and recover from Tommy John? Will he still be the same guy? That's another question. Is Sandy now, with the rule changes that have gone on, is his 2023 campaign prior to injury, is that more, is that the Sandy we should expect moving forwards? Or is it more like his 2022 Cy Young campaign? There's a lot of questions here with Sandy Alcantara. Here's the knowns, though. Beyond 24, there's two definite years and then a club option. So three years for control. However, it gets a 17 million for the two and then over 20 million in the final club option. <clears throat> As we've seen with the Rays, with Tyler Glass now, even coming off a stunning season, much better season than Sandy Alcantara, the Rays are actively looking to move Tyler Glass now at this point because 25 million is too much. You then have to sit back and think about this and think, are the Marlins ever going to pay Sandy Alcantara over 20 million in his final year? The answer is probably no. It's probably too high, considering all the other needs that they have. And so that club option is maybe a club option for another club. So you then start to work that backwards and think, well, should they make the move now? We get no value out of Sandy now, but clubs will see those three years of control of Sandy Alcantara beyond 2024 when he's unusable, and you then pay up a massive premium for a 
Cy Young caliber guy that is a top guy, top work ethic, top everything that goes with Sandy Alcantara? And would that fully reboot the Marlins farm and take them into a completely different conversation? Frankly, if you move Sandy right now, that potentially is more of a win move now for 2024 than it is into 25 and beyond. You get into 25 and you've got, you know, 60 million connected to Sandy, to Arias and to Abisel Garcia or 50 million, whatever it is, is way too much, way too much. There may not be a way to move Avi. You may have to move Sandy. Maybe if you are going to have to move him, move him now and save the 9 million that's on the books. I'm not saying the Marlins should move Sandy Alcantara. He's one of my favorite pitchers of all time. I absolutely love Sandy. Um, But with that being said, he's going to deliver no value in 24. We don't know what value in 25. We don't know how he'll respond. And equally, the number starts to get too big for a club like the Marlins. And we have to accept that. You have to maybe cash in at the right time. And maybe it's the right time to cash in on Sandy Alcantara right now. I get it. The clubs won't want to go over-aggressive because of the unknowns I've already called out. But at the same time, if, if there's a deal to be done for three years of a controllable Cy Young winner that has no character concerns and his body is a temple as an absolute stud, then there's a huge price to pay for that. In my opinion, there's no way that these three guys can all still be on the roster in 2025. There's no way. Because the cost is too high. So someone has to go. And maybe in reality, two of these three guys on the rundown here, and Sandy, Lozado, and Arias have to be moved before the start of the 2025 campaign. That's just the economical situation here for the Marlins. That these guys earning 15 plus million, they will always be expendable. They are always too expensive for this market. That's what we've seen. So it's thinking about from Peter Bendix's perspective is when is the right time to move them and what can they get back to help them rebuild this farm, get some talent back into the organization offensively. And what's the, what is the chain reaction to this? Do you then enter that little kind of rebuild window where you look to strip it back even more? Maybe move all three of these guys. Maybe. There's a lot of decisions to be made about this roster from Peter Ben. I would not be surprised if they have a mini reboot along the way here. I would not be surprised if Sandy Alcantara is, is traded this offseason. He delivers no value to the Marlins in 24. He just adds cost. The cost in 25 and beyond is also too high. We have to consider is now the right time to trade Sandy Alcantara. It's a conversation that is uncomfortable. It's one that I don't like having, particularly on my own. I'm talking to myself here. But I think it's a conversation and a topic that could and should be discussed within the Marlins front office this offseason. Guys, let me know in the comments what you think. But for me, there are going to be some tough decisions to make here on some players that we all really enjoy watching in Sandy, in Arias, in Luzardo, in Josh Bell. But frankly, the numbers don't add up. And so the Marlins need to consider how they can be up their farm system and make this more of a sustainable product in this market if they're looking to compete long-term. Thanks for joining me on Lockdown Marlins and making Lockdown Marlins your first or second listen of the day, depending if you've consumed both of these episodes on Monday. I'll be back 
uh, of course, on Tuesday. And it could be another doubleheader. Wait to see. We'll get into more topical conversations. We'll see you then.